Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada. Today we're continuing our series on the book of 1 Corinthians called The Power of Christ in a Pagan World. So let's listen to today's message called God Defends His Church from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. In his magnificent poem, which was made into a hymn, author Sabine Baring Gould wrote, Onward Christian Soldiers, to speak of the ultimate success of Christ's church. In the fifth verse, Gould writes, Crowns and thrones may perish, kingdoms rise and wane, but the church of Jesus constant will remain. Gates of hell can never against the church prevail. We have Christ's own promise, and that cannot fail. If you were listening to me yesterday, we made the point that the only eternal building that will remain is the Church of Jesus Christ. We noticed that the foundation to this building is the message of the cross preached by the apostles and prophets. Its bricks rising from the foundation are made up of living stones who are, in fact, the lives of God's people. This building is eternal. It will not fail. It will not fall into disrepair. It will not be defeated by the enemies of the cross. When everything else has failed and collapsed, the church of Jesus Christ will stand. For those of us who feel so threatened by our secular culture, you must know that long after Canada has ceased to exist and is but a footnote in history, the triumphant church of Jesus Christ will stand. We are on the side of history, and to ancient Corinth, a city that no longer exists, the church of Jesus Christ still does. The Roman Empire has fallen, but Christ's church is larger than ever. Baring Gould said it well, crowns and thrones may perish, but the church of Jesus constant will remain. Today we're going to discover why that is. We will see that is because Christ will defend his church. Well, let's read our text. It's taken from 1 Corinthians 3, 12 to 17. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire." Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Now, if you're following this series, you'll remember that Paul has been explaining that he was God's master builder who laid the foundation of the church. Of course, he includes, as he does in Ephesians, the other apostles and prophets who laid the foundation once and for all. That foundation was the doctrine and teachings of the church, which find their center in the cross. That foundation forms our New Testament. That was Paul's assignment from God. But now that the foundation has been laid, others will come and build upon it. I mean, one such man was Apollos, who had been sent to Corinth to bring leadership to the church after Paul's work was completed. Unlike Paul, whose assignment from God was to lay the foundation, Apollos had another assignment from God. His strong gifts were used to move the church to the next level in her mission to declare Christ in Corinth. I'm reminded here of Paul's words to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Each generation of builders hands the next task of building on the foundation to the generation coming after them until the structure is complete, that is, until Christ returns. And from that, 
and from the reality that Paul and Apollos each had their own unique assignment from God, one was to lay the foundation, the other was to build on it, comes the next reality that Paul wants the Corinthian church to understand. They too, each individual Christian living in Corinth, has their own unique assignment from God. They also are called to build on the foundation that has already been laid. And by the way, if as you are listening to this series and are wondering what Christ wants you to do, I mean, what is your unique assignment? Clearly, however you understand it, it has something to do with the building of the church, the building on the foundation that has once for all been laid. You know, but what can that possibly mean? Now, how does a person know if they are to be a, let's say, a pastor or a missionary, a Bible teacher, or to serve in some other area? What is God's unique assignment for you? Now, clearly, that's not what this text is all about. Later, in chapters 12 to 14, Paul will discuss spiritual gifts. There are various gifts given, everything from miracles to healing to helping to administration. The purpose of these gifts, well, Paul answers that in chapter 14, verse 5, so that the church may be built up. Our task is to discover the unique way in which the Holy Spirit has gifted and equipped us to build up the church and then become active builders. Discover your spiritual gifts. Use them in the building of the body of Christ. That's your assignment from God. Now, here in chapter 3, Paul's not only interested in encouraging us to build, but he's interested in examining the kind of materials we are using as we build. Are we building in such a way that what we do actually stands the test of time or what we are doing is of no eternal lasting value? That's the question. And so Paul tells us that we are to build on the foundation that has already been laid, and then he gives us two building requirements. Just like earthly buildings, the eternal church of Jesus Christ has a building code, if you will, or two building requirements. The first, don't tamper with a foundation. That's what verse 11 taught us. The foundation has already been laid. It's Christ and his cross. Now, here's the second requirement. Don't use inferior building materials. Listen to verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Now, let's be clear. There are six different materials that are given here, and it might be tempting to think of each one of these as representing six different categories of which we might build, but that's really a mistake. Paul only sets up these six to ask the reader to answer a question. If there were a great fire, which one of these would survive? And the answer is that the first three would survive and the last three would not. In other words, are you building in such a way that what you build will be eternal or merely temporal. Now, there are a number of ways of looking at this. One way you might do that is to simply look at your life and ask, what am I doing today that is going to matter 100 years from now? Will anything that you plan and live for and spend time doing and thinking about, will anything you're about have any eternal lasting value? Ask yourself that question. And for some of you who are listening to me, there's nothing that you're doing with your life right now that will matter 100 years from now, never mind in eternity. And for others, all of your life is of eternal worth. But what matters 100 years from now? How do we answer that? Well, you lead someone to Christ, that matters in eternity. You disciple your children, teach them how to live for Christ, that matters in eternity. You spend time praying with your home group. That matters in eternity. You encourage someone to keep trusting in Christ. That matters a hundred years from now. 
You work huge overtime hours to make the next $100,000 that will not matter in eternity. You drop out on life to build a retirement of nothing but leisure. All that stuff will just burn. That's one of the ways of viewing verse 12. It requires soul-searching of each of us. But there's something else. There's another way of viewing this passage. In reality, Paul is not speaking about those who are not building. That is, those who are not serving Christ in the context of his church or those who are dropping out and living for themselves. He's speaking to those who are serving already. Paul's speaking about building on the church with building materials that are defective, that will burn with fire. He's speaking of those who are already in service to Christ. It's key to hear that. It's possible to serve, to minister, to build, and to do it all for nothing. But what can that mean? Look at verse 13. Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Now, the fire that's spoken of here cannot refer to the eternal salvation of the builder who escapes the final judgment of eternal damnation. We are told later on that even those whose work is burned up are still saved. So all these people are Christians for whom the eternal fire has been removed by Christ's death on the cross. So the fire is not judgment, but the testing of each one's work. And the day spoken of in this passage, that is, the day that will disclose it, must refer to the day of the Lord. That is, the day when Christ returns. So to put it plainly, when Christ returns, some people will find that all they have done will be of no count whatsoever. A lifetime of building or of service will be lost. Now, how is that? Well, in Corinth, we learned that many in that church were relying on the wisdom of the world to get their message across. They believed that impressive speakers using little bits of Greek philosophy would make the church grow and reach that city. That's why Paul would refer to them as people of the flesh. That is, they relied on the flesh rather than the power of the cross to build the church. And when they did that, they were building with materials that would be burned up in the day when Christ returned. What they were doing in stressing the need for human wisdom to build the church had no lasting or eternal value. So can we get practical here? Whenever we rely on human wisdom, we are relying on something that has no lasting value. We'll say more about that when we come back. Paul makes it very clear that what we do for Christ on earth does matter, and everything we do will be judged by him in the end. These verses are so practical in the way they speak into every believer's life and in their involvement in the church. After the break, we'll explore this topic more deeply as we discover how we will be judged or rewarded for our actions. Truth and Life Today with Dr. John Newfeld provides regular, insightful interviews with Christian leaders into some of the most provocative and current issues of the Christian life. How would the Bible have us live, think, even respond to issues that ultimately define who we are as God's people? How should we act and respond to the world around us or live uniquely within the church? Join Dr. John Newfeld for these unique and intimate conversations that ultimately provide biblical insight for living as we strive to live as people of faith. Never miss an episode or check out past episodes by visiting and subscribing to our YouTube channel at Back to the Bible Canada. For more information, call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. 
And please consider offering a gift this month to support our critical year-end campaign. Call 1-800-663-2425 or donate online at backtothebible.ca. Every building that gets built has a final inspection, a time after the completion of the structure when the work that gets done is evaluated. So let's talk about final inspection. Listen to verses 14 and 15. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will be rewarded. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. I hope you paid attention to what was being said. Unlike every other building project, the building itself is not being inspected because this building, the church, will be perfect. You remember Ephesians 5.27 tells us that the church will be the bride of Christ, wearing a beautiful wedding dress without stain or wrinkle. Jesus is not marrying a defective bride, but a beautiful, radiant, lovely, perfect bride. Or to use the image of the building, when the church is complete, it will stand as a monument to the great architect and builder who is God himself. No, it really needs no inspection. It is perfect. But what does need inspection are the builders. And here's a marvelous promise. Wise builders will be rewarded. I noticed that 16 times in the gospel, Jesus mentions a reward. For instance, listen to Matthew 10, 42. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So if you minister to another believer simply because he or she is a believer and for no other advantage, you will be rewarded. God knows, God sees. Or listen to Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. This is not the gospel of works. It doesn't say we get our sins forgiven by what we do. Our sins are forgiven because of what God does, and yet saving faith produces good works. Or as the Apostle Paul puts it in Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, walk in what? Walk in good works, things we do things that God has prepared for us to do. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like our assignment from God. Your assignment is to build. And here's the key. If you do, God will reward you. What does the reward look like? Well, I'm not sure, but there are hints at it in the Bible. When Jesus tells the parable of the ten minas recorded in Luke 10, the nobleman says to his faithful servant, you've been faithful in very little. You shall have authority over ten cities or then five cities. The idea is that the degree of faithfulness shown in that which is not your own is rewarded to the degree in which the servant was faithful. He who was faithful in little is given much. Add to that a further thought. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, Paul tells us that we, that is believers, we believers must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Whatever we make of that verse, 2 Corinthians 5.10, several things are plain. First, our works are judged and rewarded according to our faithfulness to the assignment Christ has given us. 
Second, it would appear from 2 Corinthians 5.10 that the judgment seat of Christ also exists to test whether the person's faith is genuine or not. But what is the purpose of rewards? Why are they offered? Well, according to Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, they motivate us. He himself says it, that he thus makes it his aim always to please the Lord. That may surprise some of us even to notice that Jesus himself was motivated by rewards. According to Hebrews 12 verse 1, Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. That is, the agony of suffering that was immediately before him was bearable because he had his eyes set on the long-term reward that lay ahead. And you and I ought to do the same. Set your eye on the long-term reward that God gives to his own. Let me say it kindly. Stop whining. Every once in a while, someone will say, no one notices. No one even thanked me for what I did. And when you think that way, you should say to yourself, God knows, God sees, God rewards, and that's enough. Indeed, it is more than enough. Wise builders are rewarded. But hear this, foolish builders will be ashamed. Verse 15 speaks of those whose work is burned up and who suffer loss even while they are saved in the final day. You know, there are those people who think of verse 15 that that it must be about purgatory in which believers are purged of their evil deeds, but there's nothing in the passage to suggest that. Rather, it's not about purging anything. It's about burning up all building materials that were unworthy. It's about those who escape the condemnation of the great judgment, but who also find that they did not in any way give themselves to the assignment that God had for them. And out of that comes an image. And I want you to imagine the scene. Standing around the throne are those who hear the words of Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll give you much. Great is your reward. It will be like Christmas, a Christmas you've never seen before. Bewildered believers who see the glory of God, the beauty of heaven, the eternity of God's promises are rewarded even further, are loaded down with gifts. Their reward is great. And next to them stand some other believers whose clothes are still smoking just a bit. I don't know if that's the right picture or not. Maybe I shouldn't use that. They stand grateful for their salvation, but they stand empty-handed. Nothing remains all that they had done. Their lives received grace, but they built with defective materials for a lifetime. But Paul's still not done. In verse 16, he says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. You know, I find it tragic as to how many people actually misunderstand this verse. I've heard sermons using this verse to say, you know, you shouldn't smoke or drink or abuse your body. Yeah, I know that's true. We should not abuse our body. But this verse is not about our own individual bodies. This verse is about the body of Christ. This is about the church. If anyone destroys God's church or would attempt to destroy God's church because God's church will stand eternally, but if you attempt it, God will destroy you. Clearly, Paul now goes beyond the idea that individual Christians can use inferior building materials. Paul is aware that there are those who despise God's church and who seek her undoing. Perhaps they seek to persecute believers, so they want to destroy the church. Or perhaps they seek to destroy the church's foundation, which rests on Jesus Christ and him crucified, and they twist the doctrines that were once and for all laid down. 
And that brings us back to the way in which Christ is defending the church. Sabine bearing gold in his great hymn, Onward Christian Soldiers, made the point that the church of Jesus Christ would prevail in the final day, and it will. But in the meantime, she will face a great struggle. There will be those who serve the church who will build with defective materials, and there will be those who try to destroy her. There have been parts of the world where the church has been persecuted out of existence, and there have been places where the church has been served by those who have been anything but exemplary in their service. But the church of Jesus Christ will not fail. Indeed, she will prevail. And so all who are saved by Christ, I give this encouragement, build, serve the Lord with gladness, find out your assignment from God, and be about the Lord's work either until he comes or when he takes you home. For what you are about will stand the test of time. What you do when you serve Christ will never be forgotten, either in this world or in the world to come. Heavenly Father, so let us build. Heavenly Father, may we be doing the Master's business until he comes. Thank you, Lord, for the assurance that what we do in the name of Christ will stand the test of time. In Jesus' strong name. Thanks for today's message, John. And it touches on some interesting issues and conversations that I've had regarding rewards and uh, uh, someone getting something that somebody else doesn't get and and favoritism and all these types of things. But really, the reward that uh, we're talking about here is not a competitive thing, is it? It's it's something different uh, in respect to that in God. Yeah, you know, Ben, I, I remember reading an article some time ago that was written by Jonathan Edwards on this whole subject matter, and it so influenced me. Edwards talked about the joy of heaven, which is a joy that is not mingled by any sense of envy for what somebody has. I can in heaven look at the great reward someone else gets and find myself overwhelmed with the joy that they have been rewarded without sensing, wow, what about me? See, I, I think that envious sense of joy is a part of our life on this world, but not in the one to come. So I think that we can see rewards as something that will motivate us to serve Christ more. He always notices, but it won't shame us in the final day. We, in fact, will be overwhelmed with what Christ has done and we'll be thankful. And so uh, I think we can approach this whole subject matter of rewards uh, with, with a great deal of anticipation and less with fear and trembling than perhaps we've done in the past. Um, that would be my encouragement to anyone who thinks about these things. Join us next week as we conclude our series on 1 Corinthians in week four with Dr. John Newfeld. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. John 1.12 reads, But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Well, this verse expresses the heart and mission of Back to the Bible Canada. We teach the Bible, but for a purpose, that those who hear might receive and believe in the Lord Jesus. That's the intention of every program, every word. Whether on radio, podcast, mobile application, Truth and Life magazine, Truth and Life Today, or our young adult ministry in doubt or the many who tune in to listen to Laugh Again. Every program and resource serves to deliver God's Word so that those who hear would be saved. 
thank you for embracing and supporting this mission. Your gifts make all that is done through Back to the Bible Canada possible. And please consider supporting the ongoing ministries of Back to the Bible Canada as we strive to reach our December year-end goal of $465,000. Call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or donate online at backtothebible.ca.